Pastor Andrew, one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and we are launching into the story once more. If you were with us last summer, uh, we started this process of trying to understand the Bible in a unique way, more as a story, as a narrative story that we could chronologically walk through. We're breaking it into three pieces for three different summers. The first summer, last summer, we started with Genesis and began walking through God's work through those beginning stories at the first part of the Bible. And then we took a break and we went through our regular year, and now we are picking that back up. And what's neat about it is we are actually being able to connect it to the sermon series that we just did on kings and kingdoms. We pick up the story where kings and kingdoms leave off. You see, we just did four or five weeks on learning about how God raised up specific kings and created the kingdom of Israel, and that through their decisions and through their life, these three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, made decisions, and we studied them, and we began to understand, hopefully, a little bit more about God's activity through these kings and through these kingdoms. Today, we pick up where Solomon left off. That is to say, you heard it read there, Solomon, the king Solomon, dies. What happens next? That's where the story starts. What happens next is that his son inherits the throne. As we begin the story, just a reminder for you, we are using and, and traveling, uh, we're kind of taking a big picture view, we're traveling very quickly through a lot of material. There'll be some historical context that we'll go through this morning that will help you hopefully understand the trajectory of the story here on out. Today, and what we talk about, is going to impact the biblical story up until Jesus Christ. So this is a big one, okay? you got to come back and get all this stuff because it's really big and really important. Because what happens after Solomon is his son Rehoboam takes over. Now you just heard there, Red, that there's some friction going on between Jeroboam and the people. Specifically, the people who live up north, okay? There's some Jewish people up north. And they live up there, and they're doing their thing up there. But because the kings came from the south, they came from the desert tribes of the south. Uh, just a quick history: there were ten, excuse me, twelve tribes in Israel. So the people, God's people, broke into twelve groups, twelve families. Two of the families lived down south in the desert. The other ten families lived up north. The tribes, ten tribes up north. Two tribes down south. The kings came from down south. As a result, the kings gave preferential favor if you lived in the south. You didn't have to pay as heavy of taxes. You didn't have to work as hard. You could take a half day. Not a big deal if you lived down south. Up north, different ballgame. They were picking up on the slack of the south. Up north had heavier taxes. They had conscripted labor. And they had to come down to Jerusalem and work in the city, building the city. The north, upon Rehoboam's claim to the throne, sends some emissaries, some people south, to say, Hey, king, eh, cut us some slack, will ya? I mean, your dad, Solomon, he drove us pretty hard. He taxed us pretty heavy. Can't you cut us a break? I mean, this ain't good for the economy up here. Taking us all down south and making us work and then sending us back up north, this is just a bad system. 
Rehoboam's response? Yeah, you thought it was bad with dad? You just wait. Dad disciplined you with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. I mean, you can just hear like the music, right? I mean, Rehoboam is, is, is not your upstanding and righteous kind of king. As a result, the north gets together and says, Boys, it's time we break with the south. We secede. Withdraw. And so the north becomes its own kingdom. It says, the heck with the south. We're doing our own thing, and we're getting our own king. And so they choose this guy named Jeroboam. Yes, it's confusing. Rehoboam is in the south. Jeroboam is in the north. Okay? Jeroboam takes the ten families, the ten tribes of the north, and sets up a kingdom. And because there's two tribes in the south, one of those tribes is the tribe of Judah. It is the big tribe, the power tribe. And so the south simply begins to be called Judah, the kingdom of Judah. The north, because it has ten tribes out of the twelve of Israel, they call the north Israel. Now, they're still all Jews, still all God's people. But you got Judah in the south with Rehoboam and Israel in the north with Jeroboam. You following? You tracking with me? Okay, so far so good. Jeroboam returns. He, he was in exile in Egypt for a while. He comes on back. They make him king of the north. There's a king in the north. Game of Thrones fans. All right. Civil war breaks out. North and south don't like each other. It gets bad so that eventually brothers and sisters are fighting, cousins are fighting, moms and dads. Everybody's fighting everybody as the north becomes its own kingdom with its own king. The south is not happy and there's friction and there's civil war. Now, to make matters worse, in order to establish the northern kingdom as its own kingdom, Jeroboam makes a strategic decision. He wants to stop all of his northern faithful Jews from going down south and sacrificing at the southern temple. Remember, Solomon built a big temple. And from then on, all good Jews went to the temple. The temple is in the south, in Jerusalem. Jeroboam says, the heck with that. We're going to build our own temples. We're doing our own thing. We're going to have our own gods. And so the northern tribes build two sites Bethel and Dan. And in each of these sites, Jeroboam makes a physical image, uh, an idol. He creates a golden calf. Now, for those of you who have been with us last summer, do you remember the story of the golden calf? How did that turn out for God's people? Now you got two of these things running amok. Jeroboam says, look, everybody... 
from now on, you've gone down south to Jerusalem long enough. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Worship at these temples. So now, all of a sudden, you not only have a separate kingdom, you have rampant, state-sponsored idol worship within God's people. What? You're telling me that we just spent four weeks tracking how God brought together and raised up kings and there was this kingdom thing? And within one generation later, the thing has been ripped into There's civil war and now people are worshiping other gods? Are you kidding me? I mean, they did not cover this in Sunday school, did they? They skipped this story on the flannel graphs. And then, amen, the author, the guy who's writing, the historian who's writing First and Second Kings, these are the two biblical books that we're looking at today, First and Second Kings. So if you go to the table of contents in your Bible, we're actually covering two entire books like today, right now. So he wrote these two books, First and Second Kings. At first they were one book, just called Kings. And it was the historical account of what happens as a result of this division. North goes north with new gods, new government, new king. And south stays south, stays faithful to the line of David. But even them, they're so messy and bad. Things get worse and worse. The north has 20 different kings. There's assassinations. There's political coup d'etats. I mean, it just gets out of hand. The north goes down the toilet, okay? It just gets really bad really fast. The south isn't hanging on that much better. Kings keep making poor decisions. And every single time a new king comes to power, whether in the north or in the south, the author has a refrain that he keeps coming back to. He has a refrain that he keeps reiterating. He holds up these kings and gives them each a report card. Do you remember report cards? Kids are like, yeah, I remember those. Don't like those, right? Because the report card says basically, did you do good or did you do poorly? Same is true here in the Bible. The author says, were you a good king or were you a poor, bad king? And his criteria for being a bad king is very simple. Did you walk in the way of Jeroboam? Were you divisive? Did you cause war? Most importantly, did you abandon God and God's ways? Did you chase after idols? Or were you a good king? Did you walk in the way of David, a man after God's own heart? Were you a good king and do what is right in the sight of the Lord? Just like David. And the reality is king after king, king after king, whether in the north or even in the south, there is a lot of bad report cards where people are weighed and found 
wanting. Wah, wah. Come to Christ Church and get an uplifting message that will get you ready for your week. <laughs> Come to Christ Church. Get God's Word. Real. Transparent. Relatable. God's Word isn't always pretty. It isn't always nice and clean for us. And I kind of like that. Because if I take the time to look at my own story, my own story is not always clean and pretty. I mean, I know and understand what civil war means. Yes, yes, it has government, big picture concepts. Yes, I understand what it means to have two warring states. But even more than that, I know what it's like. I have seen and been a part of civil war in relationships, work environments, family gatherings. You ever have the pool party where you can't talk to that one relative over there because there's so much friction and hate and animosity that you can't bring yourself to sit down and share a beer together? Has your family been torn apart, torn in two? Through divorce and, and, and through pain or grief. You lost someone and have your world torn in two before? I mean, have you ever chased after an idol? I have. Sure, it wasn't a golden calf, but boy, idols don't come in that shape and size anymore. But they come nonetheless. They come in the form of shopping addictions. They come in the form of uh, sports and, and how we define success and money and what we chase after and what we end up putting our trust in, what we put our hope in, what we worship with our lives. We chase after idols, don't we? I do. I've gotten a bad report card. Have you? I look in the mirror and I recognize and I admit that my life too has failure. I don't always walk in the ways of David as a man after God's own heart. Sometimes I'm a lot like Jeroboam. And my guess is you are too. So what do we do about that? What does God do about that? Well, we turn our stories to the story that we hear from Scripture. You see, yes, it is fairly depressing to sit back and read the, the first, uh, first Kings and Second Kings. I mean, it, it's not this, like, cheery, uplifting experience at first. Sometimes God's word, God's love, and God's compassion comes in unexpected and hidden ways. Sometimes we have to look and listen intently, deeply. We have to look at places we didn't expect in order to find and understand what God is trying to say. 
Sometimes God hides his own activity in unsuspecting places. There's no greater example than the cross itself, a symbol of death and destruction. Yet we who are Christians hold and cling to the cross because it is a symbol of life and of hope and of future. It is something that conveys God's promises and God's activity despite its unseemly designation of destruction. So also with the books of First and Second Kings. When we step back and we look at the bigger picture, there is one consistent thing that is happening over and over and over again and again. And it makes all the difference. I mentioned to you before that the author continues to use a refrain, that report card. How was this king? Was he a good king or was he a bad king? Now, on the outset, that just feels like a report card. But what's interesting about it is if you step back and look, why is the author doing that? What what point is he trying to make just throwing it in our faces? Another bad king. God's people messing up again. The author, the author continues this refrain because the author is looking for something specific, or rather, someone. You see, the author begins the book of First King by remembering God's promise to David. That from David, from the line of David, there will be a successor on the throne of Israel. There is a promised Messiah who is coming. A promised perfect king. Straight A student. A plus. The perfect king is coming. And so this author is looking at each of these kings and he says, Is this the one? Is this the Messiah? Is this guy going to put things right? Because the promised Messiah can do things that other kings cannot do. The promised Messiah can bring reconciliation where it seems impossible. It can heal this king, this perfect Messiah will heal the rift between the north and the south. Between brother and sister. Between God's people as we fight. This promised king will take things that are broken in two pieces and weave it back together. Like marriages. like fallouts with sons and daughters between parents. This perfect and promised king can heal that. This perfect and promised king not only will have a perfect report card himself, he will forgive 
everybody else who didn't get high marks. He will forgive those who have chased after false gods. He will forgive those who have replaced Him, abandoned Him. Even though His people have rejected Him, this perfect King, this promised Messiah will not abandon them. You see, this author, these books... The author is looking backward into history. Looking and finding and holding on to God's promise in the past. So that he can endure the present. Hopeful for a future. He is holding on to the God's promises of the past in the midst of the turmoil of the present. And in doing so, he remains hopeful for the future. So too with us. With us and our story. So you are going to have moments in life where life's torn apart. There will be grief, there will be pain, you'll get a bad report card. You'll get a decision made that you don't like. There will be something that happens where there will be civil war. And in those moments... We, as God's people, we have the chance and opportunity to do what the author of Kings did. To look back to God's promises. To hold us accountable. To bring us strength and courage. To bring us the endurance we need for the present. That we might live into God's future. God has promised you that perfect king. That Messiah. He is for you. To forgive you. To heal you. To make reconciliation possible where you think there can't be. When you come to situation and say this would take a miracle, you have a Messiah who works miracles. When you yourself are unfaithful and chase after other idols, your God remains faithful to you, calling you back, calling you to forgiveness and new life. He has claimed you as His people. And His promises and His Messiah, it is for you that you might endure the moment 
hopeful of his future. This is why we need to take time and understand the stories of Scripture. Because the stories of Scripture allow us to understand our own story. Let's close with a word of prayer, thanking God for these stories and our own. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of these stories. We confess to you and we acknowledge that the Bible does convey stories that are not always pretty or perfect. And yet we understand and are humbled by receiving them, knowing them, hearing them, reading them. Because they help us understand that we too often are a Jeroboam in our own life. We cause strife, civil war, we chase after idols. This we confess to you. And yet, just like the author, we cling to and hold on to your promise. We hold on to your Messiah. Jesus, we hold on to you, our perfect and great King. Lord, we ask that you would heal us and restore us, reconcile our civil wars and relationships, claim our hearts, be faithful to us, even when we are unfaithful to you, be faithful to us and call us back to you. Forgive us for our poor, poor report cards. And give us hearts that are yours, that are like David's. Lord, we ask that our stories would be woven into your great and grand story. And may your promises preserve us now as we anticipate the future. We ask this, Lord. We pray this, Lord, because of your grace and your goodness. And in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.